Jesus, we thank you so much, God, that you would send your only son and die for us on the cross. And, and, and Lord, we, we are just touching the surface in our heart and in our mind of what all that means. Uh, the, the absolute freedom that you bought for us, the absolute joy that you are willing to give a person who would believe in what you did on the cross. And we thank you so much for that. And we pray, God, that during a time of study of your word, God, that it would not be human wisdom, it would not be traditional ideas, but God, that your spirit, who created all things, would speak into our heart a new life and a new understanding, a new revelation, and, and just who you are, to show us who you are. This morning, Lord, I was, I was talking with you, and, and Lord, thinking about how the Ten Commandments, Lord, they could never reveal all of your character. They could never show us all of who you are. They show us some of your character, but Lord, they don't show us everything. And that's why Jesus is so important for us to have a personal relationship with you, for us to be able to hear from you and speak to you and look at you and study you because Jesus, you are that perfect revelation. You said, if anyone has seen me, they have seen the Father. And so, Jesus, we ask that you would help us to see you this morning. In the, in the first chapter of the Word of God, Lord, that we would see Jesus just all over this page in our Bible. That we'd have little notes saying, Jesus is here and, and Jesus is there. But more importantly, that Jesus, you would be in our hearts. That we'd have, we would have a deep knowledge of you and a deep commitment to love you. And God, I pray that through uh, this relationship, you would develop character in us and you develop love, that we would love each other and we'd love this world that needs so much to hear the gospel. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So we are in the first book of the Bible. Last week we studied the first verse, which is, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And we, we studied that very carefully. We learned many things about God and his character through that. And this week, we are going to look at the whole first chapter of the book of Genesis. And so uh, I want to begin by remembering a TV show. Uh, I used to watch the show Lost, and it was this epic, confusing, I had no idea what was going on the entire show. But they had this huge running theme throughout the 120 episodes of this show of of a man of faith and a man of science. And they were these two kind of opposing characters. They weren't bad guys, but they were both good guys, but they both looked at the world very differently. The man of science, he, he was Jack, and he would always be looking at, at, at the world through what he could observe. And he had a very hard time thinking that there was anything else outside what he could see. He couldn't really take any steps uh, of faith. And then there was another guy on that show named Locke, and he was always just willing to believe. If he got a message and he felt like he was supposed to do it in his heart, he would just do it. And the reason why I bring this up is because um, I've always been kind of that man of science. I've wanted to be able to observe. And I think in, in some ways all of us are. We kind of grow up in that way where we we want to be able to see the step that we're taking. We want religion as kind of this esoteric, weird thing. And the world today actually has a very common worldview. It's, it's throwing out there all the time saying, 
if it, if it can't be observed, then it's not real. And there are philosophy teachers out in our colleges today that that's what they're teaching. Real, the real world is only what you can see. And if there's anything supernatural, it's not real and we should not study it and we shouldn't give it any importance. And we kind of are growing up in that world all around us right now. And in this show, it was really neat because this guy Locke, he, he didn't care what Jack thought about him. And Jack would say, why is it so easy for you to believe? And Locke would say, why is it so hard for you? It was because of the preconceived notions that he came in with that made it hard for him to believe. And as we looked at last week about God creating the heavens and the earth, I, I said, if you, uh, if you can believe that verse, you'll have no problem with anything else that follows. But if your preconceived notions are telling you right now supernatural things don't happen because I've never seen a miracle. I've never seen someone be healed. I've never seen someone rise from the dead and I've never seen some life appear out of nowhere. A supernatural miracle. I've never seen a planet just appear. I've never seen a world just appear. Those preconceived notions will actually prohibit you from being able to believe and being able to see. And so if we, if we eliminate the preconceived ideas and we just come in with true observation, like observational scientists should do. See, I'm all for science. I love science. I love science. I study science on almost a daily basis. And I love science that you can observe and you can see. But when you look at science, when you look at results of an experiment, you can always have two different views. And they're always um, formed by your preconceptions. And you might see a world that exists today. And you might say, well, this world exists, so it had to come from somewhere. And so you come up with this elaborate plan that takes the supernatural out of everything. And as you come up with this elaborate plan, it goes back to the Big Bang. And the Big Bang was all of matter was in this little tiny little speck. And as they define that little speck, they'll say the little speck of all matter in the entire universe was actually nothing. And nothing exploded and made everything which is tantamount to a supernatural event in and of itself. So even the, your preconceived notions, you'll be saying, I don't want to believe in a supernatural event, but in reality, the Big Bang is, is a supernatural event. See, the Big Bang is a wonderful thing for creation and scientists and a wonderful thing for believers of the Bible because it proves the Bible had a beginning or the universe had a beginning. The Bible says what that beginning was. Scientists can't figure it out. All the evolutionists, all the, the Darwinists, they all wanted to believe that the universe was eternal. They all wanted to until Einstein proved them all wrong. Even Einstein himself wanted to believe that the universe was eternal. And he said, it was a great day of disappointment when I had to realize that the universe had a beginning. That my theories and my math showed that the universe had a beginning. And so that changed Einstein's life. And he said, now I've gone from trying to figure out everything I was trying to figure out before to I just want to know why God did it and how God did it. And that's how Einstein died, was trying to figure out how God did it and why God started the universe, how he set it all in motion. It's like a car that was filled with gas and turned on and is slowly running down. It can't be eternal. The universe is losing energy at, at an incredible rate. 
It will run out and die someday. It has a beginning and an end. And so it had to have a source. Someone had to build the car. Someone had to turn it on. And we see that it was the Lord. That's what we learned. And that's what we're going to see how he did it. I wish I could have a conversation with Einstein because I would have said, bro, it's right here. Read this. It's in this chapter that we're going to look at today. How he figured it out. How he set it all in motion. You know, these scientists, we don't have to worry. We don't have to worry about trying to prove all this stuff. Even though I like to look at science, I love to be able to prove creation is a better theory of what happened than than evolution. I I love doing that. We don't have to worry about it. Um, We don't have to worry about them finding evidence that disproves the Bible. It's never going to happen. No matter how they twist it, it's not going to happen. You know, it's almost like they're like the people of Sodom and Gomorrah, blindly clawing at whatever they can find. And it gets almost ridiculous when you hear some of the theories that they come up with. That aliens planted DNA in a comet and sent it flying through the universe, and it landed here. And then they waited billions of years for that DNA to magically produce a living thing. Doesn't happen. Impossible. And so as we look at those things, just remember that. We're not, well, I'm not here to try to disprove anything. I'm just here to present the truth of what the Bible says, and let it go. If you want to believe it, great. You know, someone said very famously, you don't have to defend a lion. You just let it out of its cage, and that's what we're doing with the Word of God. But it's funny that the more scientists find out, the more they discover they don't know. Astrophysicists are faced with another challenge uh, these days, and that's trying to figure out what dark matter is. Have you guys heard of the dark matter in the universe? It's very interesting because dark matter, uh, it's a term scientists use to explain the apparent enormous excess of gravity in the universe. Dark matter may make up up to 99.9% of all the matter in the universe, and nobody knows what it is. There's suggestions that have been offered, but they're only, you know, ideas and suggestions. There's no absolute proof. There's no observable way they can figure it out. And David O. Caldwell of the University of California at Santa Barbara says, when it comes to dark matter, the only thing that we're convinced of at this moment is that it's there. But actually, scientists can't even agree really on that. And Michael S. Turner, an astrophysicist professor at the University of Chicago, says, it's very humbling the origin, composition, energy, and mass of the most common matter in the entire universe is unknown. They have no idea what 99% of everything is. They have no idea. Meanwhile, God has no worries. He seems utterly unconcerned with the challenges presented by so-called scientists and philosophers, all trying to figure out what happened at the beginning. It was just God. He was the source, the one and only. And we learned through the Bible that he existed actually before creation and that he was just fine before creation. He didn't need us. He didn't need anything. He was totally self-sufficient. In fact, all things that we know about uh, the time before creation, we're actually going to spend a little bit of time right now and back up before creation because the Bible actually tells us quite a bit that happened before this chapter in Genesis chapter 1. So let's spend a couple minutes looking at the things that the Bible says were going on before creation. All right? We know that there was God. We know that he existed in three persons, so he was having some conversations between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And he said some of these things were, were happening. Number one, the mission of Jesus was foreordained before the foundation of the world. It says in 1 Peter 1.20, 
For indeed, he was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. So Jesus was given his mission. Just like when you go to war, you're given your mission before you head out. Jesus, the Father said, I got a mission for you. Sometime before he created the whole world, the Bible says, God said, hey, Jesus, I got an idea. Jesus is like, hey, what's that? Let's create a whole world. They're going to rebel against us, and then you go die for them. And Jesus is like, why me? No, just kidding. Jesus is like, guys, come on. Number two, eternal life was promised before time began. In Titus 1-2, it says, In hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised before time began. So yet creation, not only was the world created and the universe and all matter, but time was also started. There was no such thing as time before. There was just God in his existence. But again, he's like, you know what? Before we get this whole time thing started, let's make a plan for eternal life. Let's, let's have an idea about how we're going to create men and we're going to promise them that we're going to come through for them. We know that they're going to fall and they're going to rebel, but we're going to make it happen so that they can have eternal life. We're going to come through for them. Number three, the mystery of the gospel or the cross was foreordained before the ages. In 1 Corinthians 2.7, it says, But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory. There is this mystery of how God would do it, but God knew. He knew it was going to be a cross. He knew that his son would be nailed to the cross. Very powerful when you think of the implications. When you think of the relationship of Jesus saying, Dad, we sure we want to do this? And the father's like, yes, this is the plan. I want to show them my love. I want to prove my love. But I'm also just, so there has to be a cross that satisfies my justice and my love. That's what happened. And fourthly, grace was given to us. Grace that was given to us before the world began. It says in, in 2 Timothy 1.9, who saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. So this whole relationship of grace, this whole relationship that we commonly call the new covenant that we're living in, where we draw upon God's resources and not rely on our own works, God said that's been in place since before I even made the world. Before you were a twinkle in my eye, I have had a plan to provide everything that you need through the person and work of my son and what he would do for you on the cross. And fifthly, the believers were all chosen. They were all chosen in him before the foundations of the world. And it tells us that in Ephesians 1.4, just as he chose us in him it before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. And we learn that sometime before the beginning that God created the angels. Sometimes before, sometime before he created the heavens and the earth, there was the angels because it says in Job 38, 7 that the angels of God witnessed the creation and rejoiced. So they witnessed him doing this. But one thing that did not happen before the creation of the world 
was the fall of Satan. And this is very important for us to understand, that Satan wasn't an opposing figure before the world was created. This world provided an opportunity for Satan to rebel. And look what happens. In, in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 28, verses 12 through 17, it gives us the story of how Satan fell. And there's some real clues in here for us to understand. It says, um, Son of man, take up a lamentation for the king of Tyre and say to him, Thus says the Lord God, you were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. This is a description of Satan before he fell. You were in Eden, the garden of God. So Satan was running around in Eden. Well, I, we're going to find out here that Eden, at, at the end of this first week, God says everything is good. It's all good. Everything is great. And it would not have been great if Satan's running around as a bad guy, would it? So he says he was in Eden. Every precious stone was your covering. The sardis, topaz, and diamond, beryl, onyx, and jasper, sapphires, turquoise, emerald, and gold. The workmanship of your timbrels and pipes was prepared for you on the day you were created. So again, Satan was created. He's not Jesus' spirit brother, as the Mormons will try to get you to believe. You were the anointed cherub who covers. I establish you. You were the holy, on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of the fiery stones. I don't have any idea what any of that stuff means, but it sounds cool. Satan was awesome. Verse 15, you were perfect in your ways from the day you were created. Satan was awesome. Lucifer was great. He was created as the worship leader in heaven. A great God needs a great worship leader. And that's what Satan was. His pipes and timbrels, he was some sort of musical genius created to be able to worship God. It says in verse 15, you were perfect until iniquity was found in you. So you were in Eden until iniquity was found in you. Mm. By the abundance of your trading, you became filled with violence within and you sinned. Therefore, I cast you as a profane thing out of the mountain of God, and I destroyed you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the fiery stones. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. And I, caused, I cast you to the ground, and I laid you before kings that they may gaze at you. So, Satan was not evil yet. He was witnessing what God was doing here. So that's kind of a simple explanation of everything that was going on before creation. Now we get into Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Some people say, it's a very common idea, that there was a huge gap between verse 1 and verse 2. And it's, it's their way of adding millions of years of apparent time and history into the Bible. And I want to caution you and say, that's not what the Bible says, and it's totally unnecessary. It's totally unneeded. They try to put dinosaurs, cavemen, stars in their apparent old age, and all kinds of other things that they feel like they can't explain by science, and they try to hide them in those hidden years in the gap theory. But later, in this chapter, or actually in the second chapter, we're going to find, third chapter, that Death didn't come into the world until Adam sinned. Death didn't happen. And so you have a huge problem for the gap theory. Because the gap theory will say, well, there was millions of years of dinosaurs and cavemen and cavemen eating dinosaurs and dinosaurs eating cavemen and all of them eating bugs. And all of it 
was death. And that was God's plan. And that is absolutely not God's plan. God's plan was not death. Death is an enemy, the Bible says. Death is the last enemy to be destroyed. And God did not create this world on the purpose of death. It didn't happen that way. It says in, in uh, Romans 5.12, Therefore, just as one man sinned, through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, thus death spread to all men because all sinned, because we're all sons of Adam. So not, death was not a part of the world before the uh, creation. Okay, so you got a, a major problem there. So with no death, you can't have the millions of dinosaurs dying in the mud or wandering along these tar pits and falling in somehow. Millions of times. Doesn't happen. It's simple. Just believe what the Bible says and you're not going to have any problems. You don't have to try to s squeeze a gap in here and try to say things that the Bible doesn't say. We don't have to do that. Just believe what the Bible says and you're, it's going to be good for you. That's why God gave us his word, so we all don't have to be smart, which is great for us. We just need to trust him. If you had to be smart to know God and to try to figure things out, that would give some people an advantage over other people, but that's not how it works. God places all men on the same level and says it's by faith, and he gives us his simple word and judges everything by faith. Do you trust his word or not? You know, it's a sad thing that some churches ha had kind of this high church mentality where they were like, you have to have the, the, the inside knowledge to be able to really know God. And that's not the message that God gives us. God says it's equal. It's everything's by faith. Trust me, know me, and see if I can't reveal to you, even though you're not that smart. I mean, all of us are dumb compared to God. So why are we trying to figure out things? Why are we thinking that we have to do this on our own? Do you trust him or not? That's the question. In fact, it seems uh, by observation that those who are really smart tend to have a harder time trusting him and letting go of their desire to understand an infinite God who cannot be understood and how he does everything. Intelligence can actually be a barrier to us having a fruitful relationship with God. That's, that's interesting. It's not what the world tells us, is it? But I'm sure you guys can think in your mind about smart people you've known. I was just having a conversation about, uh, before church with someone about that. So even though, even if there was evidence of millions of years, which there's not, that's no problem for creation in the Bible. Because God can create things that appear older than they are, can't he? I mean, Adam wasn't created as a baby. Did Adam have a belly button? I don't know. Great question. And trees. I mean, trees, he created them, and they were, and he, it wasn't just dirt. He created the trees, and he had them appear a certain age. I, did they, they have rings on them? I don't know. But God could do that. Beaches. If God created a beach, beaches are formed over time, and the erosion, sand causes against the rocks, but he might have created a beach. Who knows? Stars, they certainly look old. Interesting. Well, we get here and it says that the Spirit was hovering over the face of the deep. It's a very great word in Hebrew. That word hovering is, the, is used for a mother bird watching over her babies. 
just a, that bird. You just picture her wings just spreading. We've had a, a nest in front of our house, and no matter what my kids do of running back and forth and screaming, that mother bird is just always just like not moving over her eggs. Then she left, and the eggs died, and I don't know. She was a bad mom, but <laughs> that's not what we're talking about here. A good mom just watches. Just, it's a, and the word is actually a primitive word for the word soft, a primitive verb of the word soft. It means it's got a feeling of tenderness, of love, of cherishing, just soft. See, God wasn't creating the world in a violent and dramatic way. You know, I kind of think in my mind of Fantasia and just, and that's how creation was happening. But the Bible says it differently. The Bible says that the Spirit was just soft. It was just creating. He was gentle. He was calm. There was no stress in the whole process. And that seems to be the way that God works in my heart. Sometimes I feel like there's just disorganization in my heart and in my life. And I want God to come in and bring order. I don't, I don't need to stress about it either if God isn't stressing about it. Is God stressed out about you? Does God spend one extra minute worrying about you paying your rent? No. He loves you. He's made promises that he'll provide for you. And he's going he's gonna to work in your life. He has all power and he's totally calm about stuff. He works in and he hovers with love and compassion. So we need to just take a step back sometimes and don't stress. Just take a moment and realize your God hovers. Your God is calm. Your God is gentle. Relax and trust him and watch him work. I threw that statement up on Facebook the other day and some people were like, oh, I so needed to hear that. I was like, read your Bible. Verse 3, then God said, let there be light. And there was light and God saw the light that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness, and he called the light day, and the darkness he called night. So the evening and the morning were the first day. So the first way that God leads this unorganized and chaotic world into being good is by bringing light, which 2 Corinthians says is the exact way that God works in my heart. 2 Corinthians links these two ideas, and I'll read it to you in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 through 6. He says, But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts, he says, to give light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. So this light that we just observed being created in Genesis, is, he says it is the same light that we would observe if you looked in Jesus' face. That's where the light comes from. That's what the light is. It's the same light. It's all related to Jesus. It is just a physical manifestation of what Jesus brings into a life and a heart. That's what this light is. Every time you see anything, 
something. You see a rock, you see a chair, anything, you should be reminded about Jesus. How his light made that possible. Your eyes are worthless without light that illuminates the world around you. So the same way he created this light in the world, he's actually creating spiritual illumination in our hearts as we look where? At the face of Jesus Christ. Well, how do I do that? Read your Bible. Read your Bible. Look at the face of Jesus Christ. Learn his character. Learn how loving and gentle and kind he is. Spend time looking at his face and his light He'll say, let there be light in your own heart. He says it's the same thing. Does your life seem to be filled with darkness inside? It's hard to describe, but it's there sometimes. Does your understanding of the events of your life seem dark? Is it like a hidden meaning? I don't understand why I'm going through these things. Are you still wondering and asking that question, why? What we need is illumination. What we need is God's light. The word says to you and to me that as we set our eyes on the face of Jesus, we won't have those struggles any longer. That he will bring the light. But that's not what's popular in the, in the psychological fields these days. They love to say, well, in order for you to understand, you need to go back and you need to uncover and you need to do this and you need to do work. And Jesus says, no, that's not what you need. You need me. No matter what your problem is, you need me. You know, I do the radio show sometimes on, on Grace FM, and, and people call in with all these questions, and i got to confess a secret to you guys that I don't want anyone else to know. I don't know how to fix anything. I don't know what I'm doing a lot of times. <laughs> and I get on the radio show, and I haven't just studied all the problems, and they don't pre-screen the calls to to prepare me, and they don't have verses sitting up there. I have no idea what's going on. And people call, and they ask me questions. And I tell them the same thing in just different ways every time. I just say you need Jesus. Here's how Jesus' character can help you. Here's how you can submit to him. Here's how you can know him in a better way. Here's how you can be helped in that. And they... <laughs> always are like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. And I hear people call me, you, you do such a good job on the show. And I'm telling you guys, it's secret. Shh. I don't know. Jesus just fixes stuff. He just illuminates his light. He's the one that does it. It is not wisdom that fixes people. It is grace. It is Jesus Christ. So don't tell anyone that, okay? Shh. Be quiet. I like doing the show, so I don't want them to be like, we don't want that guy anymore. Oh, man. You, you know, we might not have the answer to why this or that actually happens practically, why someone dies, why we go through certain things, but our hearts will be illuminated and we will be set free from the darkness that keeps us in bondage to the question why. See, what, people don't always want to even know the answer. They're just in bondage to that question of why. I need to understand. And Jesus is like, understanding isn't what you need. You need me. You don't have to understand. You could just trust me. Think on that. So there was light. 
Practically, physically, light was created before the sun or any stars were made. Oh, I thought the sun gave us light. Yeah, I would challenge you on that. The sun does activate photons that travel. Oh, I got a joke for you. What was that? Well, uh, let me try to remember it here. Oh, uh, I can't remember it. A photon walked into a bar, and they asked him to take a seat, and he said, no, I'm just passing by or something like that. I was just waving. I, I'm just a wave. Uh, had something to do with a wave and it not being a particle. Anyway, sorry. Yeah, I totally forgot. But light, it, it was a good joke. It made me laugh. All right, light was created before. So there's this supernatural quality about light. And science can talk about, you know, how things are illuminated and stuff like that. But there's, I want to talk about the supernatural quality of light. Light is more than just a physical thing or a wave being admitted. Light is different. When God makes the new heavens and the new earth in the book of Revelation, it says there won't be any more sun, but it's still going to be illuminated. And how does it illuminate it? It says from Jesus. His face is going to be the sun, the light of heaven. There's not going to be a need for a sun. Very interesting. You're going to actually, if you, if you look at the, uh, the papers, the anchor deep sheets that we uh, have available for you guys, I still did the, the discussion questions for you this week, and I'm going to have you guys kind of dive into that, why the sun isn't there and some of these issues on light. And I know that we aren't having anchor groups, but I still did them for you guys so that you can kind of have the discussions. Maybe you call up your anchor group leader and you say, hey, I want to still talk through the questions. Or maybe you just talk through with your spouse or, or your friends or whatever, or just think through those questions on yourself. There's some good study ones in there this week. Uh, but I'll continue making those for you guys. So uh, when God creates the new heavens and new earth, there's not going to be a sun. He will be the light of the world. Jesus said when he was on the earth, I am the light of the world. And it's very interesting. There was a plague in the, in the Exodus when, when Moses was leading the children of Israel out, and it was a plague of darkness against the Egyptians. Do you guys remember that? It was very interesting. It's a darkness that could be felt. And they had, they had the sun, but they were separated from the S-O-N. It's very interesting. It was terrifying. It was devastating to the people in Egypt at that point because all life flows from Jesus. All life flows from Jesus. Another quick science awesomeness for you. If you had protons and electrons, is it protons and electrons? Neutrons. Protons and neutrons, okay? And you put them at two separate poles you would have to have so much power to hold those through. They repel against each other, right? And you'd have to have all this power to try to keep them together. Okay, but inside every single atom that exists in this entire universe, you have protons and neutrons. And they're like packed in together. And scientists don't know why. They should repel against each other. And in fact, as scientists have studied this, it's created quite a conundrum in the whole scientific community. And in fact, they, they still don't know, but they've called it, and all the science tech books and everything, they call it atomic glue. Because they don't know what it is. But you and I know what it is. Jesus says, all things are held together by me. All things are held together by him. So Jesus, in his power, is holding all these things together. All of life itself is being held together by Jesus. He is doing it. And we're even told in 2 Peter how he's going to let it go. 
at the end of all things, when at the end of, of, of the world, when he, lets, uh, when he destroys this heaven and, and this earth and all this, he's just going to let it go. And it's all going to be one giant nuclear explosion when all the atoms just go. It's going to be amazing. So he is literally holding it all together. It says in, first, in John chapter 1, in him was life and that life was the light of men. So we have this darkness happening to the Egyptians where they just felt like life was being kind of sucked out of them by this darkness. And when Jesus died, get this, it says that darkness covered the earth for three hours. Is that a coincidence, I ask you? Could that possibly be a coincidence? Well, darkness is documented in all the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke. It's also confirmed by three extra-biblical historians of Thallius, Philagian, and Africanus. Philagian was a Greek historian who wrote extensively in AD 137, and he said, in the fourth year of the 202nd Olympiad, ID 30, uh, that means 33 AD, there was the greatest eclipse of the sun, and it became night in the sixth hour of the day, literally noon, so that, not, so that even the stars appeared in the heavens. And there was a great earthquake in Bithynia, and many things were overturned in Nicaea. So he blames it on a solar eclipse. But the crazy thing is, is that that is actually impossible. It was not a solar eclipse. It was not an eclipse that darkened the world because a solar eclipse happens when the moon is in the right place. This was at the time of Passover, and the moon is actually in the opposite place it needs to be to have a solar eclipse. So could not have been an eclipse. So where was this darkness? So all this is to say, when Jesus was suffering God's wrath, it makes sense to me that the light would be put out as well. Makes sense. Also, when we don't trust that he's already paid for our sin, we are walking in darkness ourselves. We can't go back and pay for our sins. We get all confused and bump into things spiritually when we don't believe his work on the cross. You know, we don't have to put him back up there. We just trust what he already did. So it says here, so evening and morning were the first day. And the word for day in Hebrew is yom, which is important to know because it means a literal 24-hour day. And there's many scientists that will try to, again, try to make the Bible say something it doesn't, and they'll say these were ages in time. But it actually, you can't get that from the language. The language says it's always a 24-hour day. And they actually run into a lot of other problems because how, well, we'll get into that a little later. So verse 6, then God said, let the firmament in the midst of the waters, let there be a firmament and let it divide the waters from the waters. And thus God made the firmament and it divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament. And it was so. And God called the firmament heaven. So evening and morning were the second day. So on this day, he creates the water canopy which, uh, and the sky. So basically, there was all this water around the world, and he divided it, and he put some of it up in the atmosphere in, in a kind of a water canopy that covered a vapor uh, blanket, you could call it, that's, that was above the, the sky where the birds fly. Uh, there's a few things to know about that. It's very important to understanding the world before the flood because it would have made the world like a global greenhouse maintaining an essentially uniform, pleasant temperature all over the world. Even the South Pole would have been a great temperature during that time. It, without, these, uh, without any great temperature variations, there would have been no winds, no water rain cycle, and there would be no uh, rain as we know it today. 
which lines up with the Bible because the Bible says there was no rain before the flood. That the water uh, just kind of, it was like fog or dew that formed that watered all the plants, which is kind of crazy. No wind. They wouldn't have been able to know what wind was. Um, the world would be lush, tropical-like all over the world and fed by, the, you know, not fed by rain, but by the evaporation and the dew. And it would also filter out ultraviolet radiation, which is very important. You know, the destructive rays that come from the sun. These are known to be the cause of mutations which have uh, decreased human longevity. We're going to find out humans and animals had greatly increased lifespans before the flood. Humans lived up to 900 and almost 1,000 years. Animals lived bigger all the time. It was, it was an amazing thing. And this would have provided the necessary environment for that to happen. And we see this in the fossils. Fossils all formed during the flood, just so you guys know. The whole global geologic column is a big joke. It does not exist. In fact, all over the world, it's in different layers and different orders, and sometimes it's totally upside down. And a lot of times, a giant tree is fossilized going up, fossilized going up through the whole thing, which proves it was not formed over millions of years. It was formed in just a period of time that a tree could be there. So fossils, they are a creationist best friend. And fossils prove the world was totally different. There's cockroaches 18 inches wide, long. Try to step on that. Be like a little hoverboard. Dinosaurs were just big lizards. Lizards have a very interesting feature. They never stopped growing through their entire life. So if you had an environment where they could continue growing for 1,000 or 1,500 years, you'd get some big iguanas. It's just what it is. Um, tomatoes they found three feet in diameter, fossilized. But the most amazing thing is down in Glenrose, Texas, there's a, a fossil bed that they found under a stream. It, it eroded and they uncovered this fossil bed. And there's dinosaur tracks running all over, okay? They're just running all over. I suppose that they were probably running from the flood when it came. They're all, ah, here's the water. Well, they, there's all these dinosaur tracks. And the coolest thing is, right next to the dinosaur tracks, running all throughout with, with the dinosaur tracks, are human tracks. And yet we have this unintelligent view that dinosaurs never lived with people. Why are there drawings of dinosaurs in nearly every continent from every, pre, uh, every old civilization? They all draw, draw dinosaurs. In, in China, they have pictures of a guy riding a dinosaur. He's got a little thing on him. He's riding him like a cowboy. In Peru, they have pottery with triceratops, stegosaurus, and brachiosauruses, all people next to them, leading them, feeding them. How does that happen if they've never seen them and they didn't dig up fossils? It doesn't. It does not happen. They've always lived with people. This is no big deal. But the crazy thing about these human tracks with the dinosaur tracks is that the human foot would have been a size 26. People grew much, much bigger. There is incredible skeletal evidence that, there were, that people grew to probably about 10 feet tall originally. So Adam was a big guy. Noah had those three sons. And you might be thinking, how did just four guys build the ark? Well, you didn't see the size of his sons. He's like, go give me that tree, Shem. Okay. So people were big. They, they were very strong. A lot of the skeletons that they've discovered that are extra big, they've done studies and found out they would have been so strong based on their bone density that they could have taken a linebacker from today and tossed him over the seats. I mean, 
Just amazing strength and abilities. So there's a whole lot more science that we could get into. I encourage you to check out Answers in Genesis, uh, CRI, which is the Creation Research Institute. Their websites are full of great study and scientific uh, stuff. So get into that. It's really fun. It's also cool to teach your kids. Don't ever teach them the world is millions of years old or that fossils came from millions of years ago. It's not true. All right, well, let's, let's hurry up and finish the, the rest of this. Uh, God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and dry land appear, and it was so. And God called the dry land earth, and, he gave, and, and the gathering together he called waters, uh, he called them seas. And so God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth bring forth grass and herb and yield seeds, and, and, the, and the fruit tree that yields seeds according to its kind, whose seed is in itself in the earth, and it was so. And the earth brought forth grass and herb that yields seeds according to his kind, and the earth that yields fruit, whose seeds is in itself according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And so evening and morning were the third day. The perp- uh, those who propose that the days of creation were not literal days, or, but that they were successive ages of slow evolutionary development, have a real problem here. It's hard to explain how plants and vegetation all could grow and thrive before the sun, or the moon, or bees, or any of the other things that cause them to grow. It's impossible. And it says they grew according to their kind, which is really the biggest thing. Scientists, science proves things only reproduce after their kinds. Birds only produce birds. Monkeys only produce monkeys. Grass only produce grass. It never changes. There are variations within that kind, but you never have a duck giving birth to a porcupine. It does not happen. And yet, they take these small uh, definition of microevolution, which is just variations, adaptations of little beaks of birds, and they extrapolate that and say, see, after millions of years, a bird can turn into a donkey. And it just makes them look like a donkey. Because it's not true. It's impossible. It's not even in the DNA for it to be able to happen. Totally false. And yet, people believe it. Unbelievable. Well, We're going to go now to verse 14. Then God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of heaven and divide the day from the night and let them be for signs and seasons and for days and years and let them be uh, for lights in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth. And it was so. And God made two lights, the greater to rule the day and the lesser to rule the the night. And he made the stars also. So he set them in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth and and to rule over the the day and to rule over the night and to divide the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And so evening and morning were the, were the fourth day. Isn't it amazing that God says he created every single one of the stars for you? He created them not because he's just creative, not just because he wanted to create cool galaxies, but he said he wanted them to be for signs, seasons, and so that we could know the days and the years. He wanted us to be wise, and he says the stars will help you to be wise, to know the days that you live in, to know what happened before and what's going to happen in the future. He wanted you to know things. It's very interesting. Uh, there's a book called The Real Meaning of the Zodiac, which kind of goes into the story of how, we ca- how the Zodiac came to us. Now, there's astrology, which puts mm, supernatural qualities and powers to the signs and the heavens, and that's not what we're talking about. But there are these pictures, and it's very interesting that all over the world, in every different culture, in China and in South America, they had the same pictures. I look up in the sky, I don't see a single picture. I don't see a guy and a virgin and a warrior and a bull. and I don't see any of that stuff. 
But yet, in all these different cultures, you have the same pictures. And he goes in in this book, Dr. D. James Kennedy, and he says it's a, he believes it's a, it's a, a story that God gave. It says for signs to give them the gospel story. And he goes through the signs in the Zodiac of how it tells the gospel of Jesus coming to pay for your sin. And I thought it was pretty interesting, so I thought I'd bring it up. So, verse 20, Then God said, Let the waters abound with an abundance of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth and across the face of the ferment of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living thing that moves in which the waters abounded according to their kind Again, remember that. Every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good, and God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters and the seas, and let the birds multiply on earth. So the evening and morning were the fifth day. We could go into it, the kind and how uh, the fossil record does not give a single documented evidence of a transition from one species to another. And evolutionist Neil Eldridge writes, we paleontologists have said that the, the history of life in the fossil record supports the study of gradual evolution all the while knowing it does not. There is a grand lie out there. And they know it's false. They know it's not true. Darwin said, the greatest thing against my theory is the fossil record. But I predict that they will find millions of transitional forms in fossil record. And yet, to this date, they found zero. Even though we have billions of fossils, we found none of them are our transitional form. It's very, very sad that they would take such a leap of faith. Who are the ones that have the greater faith? Someone who knows that they are looking at a lie, but they're willing to still jump to believe it. Or someone who has an eyewitness account from a reliable source. I say we do. So I think it actually takes less faith to be a Christian than to be an atheist. Verse 24, Then God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to its kind, cattle and creeping thing and the beasts of the earth, each according to its kind. And it, and it was so. And so God made the beasts of the earth according to its kind and cattle according to its kind and everything that creeps on the earth according to its kind. And so God saw it was good. Then God said, let us make man in our image and in our likeness. So who's he talking to? Who's the us? In my Bible, it's capitalized because it's very clear he's talking to himself, the Trinity, which is very important. Let him have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle of the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created him. Then God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, See, I have given you every herb that yields seed which is on the face of the earth and every tree whose fruit yields seed, and it shall be to you for food. Also every beast of the earth and every bird of the air, and to everything that creeps on the earth in which it is life, I have given every green herb for food. And it was so. And the Lord God, and God saw that everything he made, and indeed it was very good. So evening and morning were the sixth day. So God makes man different from all the other animals. He gives him a spirit and a heart. Angels are not made in God's image. So they can't have the kind of love and relationship that man can have with God. Angels serve. They're ministers. They're servants. 
That means that they, what it also means for us, that we are made in God's image, is that we're compatible with God. It means that the incarnation was possible for Jesus to become a man. Although we're different from God, we are compatible with God. Remember, we talked about what was happening before creation. Before creation, God came up with the whole plan. He said, I'm going to create a being who I'm compatible with, who has the free will and free choice like I have. And I'm going to create them, and they're going to fall, but I'm going to create them in my image so that I can save them. I can become one of them. They can actually house my spirit. How valuable does that make you? You are not a monkey. You are not some randomly developed group of proteins. You are a designed house of the living God, a dwelling place of the Spirit of God. If that doesn't help your self-image, I don't know what will. There is nothing better than being a child of God. It doesn't get any better. This is the best. And God designed it from the very beginning. We see it in three ways. His, it means uh, we possess a personality, you know, knowledge, feelings, will. It sets up, us apart from all plants and animals. And we possess a morality. We're able to make moral judgments and have a conscience. You know murder's wrong everywhere? Even if you go to space, murder's wrong? Why? Because there's a moral law. How do we know that? Because you were created in God's image. I proved God in five seconds that he exists from the fact that murder is wrong. That can't happen by chance. If, it was, if murder was only wrong on earth and it wasn't wrong in outer space, then I'd maybe be able to go with you on evolution. That morality just developed from chemicals, but that's not how it works, is it? Because no matter what chemicals exist, murder is wrong. And just that one moral law proves that there's a God and he's created us. And you should turn your life to him today. And it means we have spirituality. We have an ability to have that relationship with God. And the first thing God does, and we're going to close with this. I know it's been a long study today. But we're going to close with this. The first thing God does to the man he's created and the woman is he blesses them. And God's desire first and foremost, is to bless you. That's his desire. He is not your enemy. He's not against you. Do you think God is waiting for you to do something right before he blesses you? Adam was just born, and God's full of blessing him. And when my child is born, I don't wait for him to earn me blessing him. I want to hug him and kiss him and hold him and bless him. We don't have to earn God's blessing. We don't have to earn God being on our team. He is so on your team. He loves you so much. We just put ourselves in a position where we can accept his blessing. Do you think God is waiting for you to earn his blessing somehow? No. Are you just fine living a life that's just okay and not full of God's blessings? I hope not. Ask Jesus for more. Ask him to be able to experience more of his blessings, and he'll answer that prayer. In Acts 3.26, it said, To you first, God, having raised his servant Jesus Christ, sent him to bless you in turning away every one of you from your iniquities. The whole creation story is about us getting back to a state of a good relationship with God, a right relationship with God. Jesus turns us away from our sin through his resurrection. He blesses us again 
like God did here. We are brought back to this kind of Garden of Eden type relationship with God where we can just walk with him like Adam and Eve were here. What does it mean when it says, when God says, I want to bless you? Blessing someone is a statement of goodwill and happiness that is said to another. His desire or will is made up for your good and not your harm. He is declaring that decision for you. And as we have seen in this chapter, God's word, his declarations are pretty powerful. He just created the whole world and universe and soul, everything with just his words. So if he has said a word that I want to bless you, do you think he's able to make that statement happen? Yes, he is able and he is willing to bless us. And he does it through grace. And it says in 2 Corinthians 9, 8, we close with this verse, God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that you always having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every good work. But just spend 10 minutes with me in the morning and see if that's good enough. No. God says if you want it all, dive all in. It's an ocean. It's a swimming pool. Just dive in. Just dive in to him. Give him all. He will bless you. He will bless you. He doesn't want to go halfway. He's not accepting of halfway from you. Maybe you've just been giving him half. Maybe you've just been giving him a tenth, maybe a hundredth, maybe zero up to this point. And maybe now is the moment you turn your life and say, I'm all in. He is able, he is willing to give me that grace to cover over my sin, to wash away my sin, but not only that, to, but to bless me, to give me that original relationship, that original place where I'm actually happy. I would like that. I would like it. Let's all stand. Let's all stand. And as the worship team comes back up to just sing one more song with us, and I thank you guys so much for sitting in these hard wooden chairs for so long and hearing the word of God and and giving him a chance to speak into your heart. If this is the day that you have, or you're feeling God call to you, and, and you know that your life is not blessed, that you're living in cursing, you're living with God against you, that if you were to die today, it wouldn't even be a question, but God would say, why would I let you into my heaven? And you'd say, I have so many bad works. And he'd say, yep. We all have those bad works. But I know for a lot of us, and I'm hoping for all of us today, that those bad works can be washed away by his blood. And if the Lord is drawing you right now and saying, I'm offering you my blood to wash you up, I'm hoping that today would be the day you would accept that. That you would say, Jesus, absolutely. I want you. I accept that you've created me for a relationship with you and that I have not been doing that. I've been on my own. I've been living my life. I've been living for pleasure or myself or my ideas, all kinds of other things, but I repent. I turn away from all those things now. And I come back to my original state. I want to be with you. 
And so pray this prayer. Jesus Christ, I need you. I believe that you paid the price for my sins. And I ask you to take me back. I ask you to bless me. I ask you to forgive me and put a new spirit inside me. We are somehow spiritually compatible, you and me, Jesus. And I ask that you would make it now a reality. You would speak, there will be light into my heart. As I keep my eyes on you, that you would just fill me up with your spirit. You would create that new light in my heart. You would bring illumination to my life. And show me, Jesus, your glory. Lord, forgive me. I've been so sinful, and I accept your free gift of eternal life. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.